Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Blue Flags. In a minute, Mum, I'm playing with my friend. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpet. How's it going, Matt? It's going fairly well, you know. I mean, it was certainly a bit of a challenge for the race in 60, but I think I'll get there. Yeah, see, Matt, though, it's the point in the season now with six races left where the racing isn't really as important as the story of the actual title fight. I, I I was actually going to do it all about just Mercedes tire preparation in Q3 of qualifying. Excellent. Is that wrong? Yeah, a little bit wrong. Um, I would appreciate you not making the entire show about tires. Uh, but even though on the face of it, that race was quite dull. I think like nothing happened in the second half of note. There was still a real tension to it because of this title fight. So you had Hamilton fans hoping for reliability. You had Sebastian Vettel fans hexing Hamilton and hoping for something to go wrong. And then you had Perez fans regretting defending him so hard on Twitter all week. <laughs> this is an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm also joined by Anil, no nickname Palmer. How have you got away with that for so long? I don't know, but I'm dreading what you're going to come up with. So please be nice and just remember... My team aren't doing so well in Formula One at the moment, so don't twist the knife spanners. 
Ferrari. Well, see, what I tend to do is fully invite Ferrari fans on when I've confidently predicted a, a great Mercedes result. Uh, another Ferrari fan who was meant to come on was Nick Numbers Alexander, but he's taken to higher ground in the US and has four feet of water running past his house. So obviously we hope everybody involved in that is okay. And hello to the live stream who is being nicely managed by Steve Amy. How's it going, Steve? It's going well, thanks, Spanners. How are you doing? I'll be doing well, so long as you keep a keen eye on that chat room, let's talk about the race. Matt, qualifying very important here in the Monaco of the East. Yeah, it's it's one only 70% of the pole uh, uh, sitters go on to win the race. So it's not quite Monaco numbers here in the modern era. But it's incredibly important. And interestingly enough, and we can thank uh, the one and only virtual stat man for this, no one has ever won the race from the dirty side of the track. So you don't want to qualify on the even side of the track at Singapore if you can help it. And really, I don't know. I mean, it looked like for all the world, it was going to be just a Ferrari walkover. We get to practice three. Vettel is up by more than half a second over Mercedes. It really, in fact, it looked like for qualifying, it was just going to be Lewis versus Kimmy for second position, and maybe that would give him a chance. Uh, while we're talking about the virtual stat man, a couple of races ago, we quoted one of his stats, and I got one number wrong. I said if you went 10 drivers back, it would be Eddie Irvine if you went 10 race winners back. Um, in fact, it was 20 race winners back to Eddie Irvine, and that's first-time race winners. I got the number wrong. I am really sorry. Please stop emailing me. And Neil, why didn't it quite go right for your team today, Ferrari? Yesterday. Well, I have a feeling that Matt's going to start talking about tyres and tyre temperature, which uh, I think we can all agree is the reason why we tune into qualifying. Um, and it's the reason why we watch the racing. <laughs> so, Matt, you might as well just uh, pull the plaster off now and just start talking about tyres. Right. Well, I will say that I normally don't like to spend a lot of time on qualifying because usually it's like, okay, three minutes left, two minutes left, one minute left. Okay, Hamilton went faster, Vettel went faster, and occasionally Raikkonen went faster, or maybe in Russia, Botas went faster. But that's pretty much it. That's qualifying. Maybe somebody snuck into Q3 who wasn't supposed to be there. Maybe a car blew up or caught on fire. That's pretty much it. But this qualifying was quite the story. We start off with Vettel's car in pieces minutes before the start they're screwing it back together they had the floor off i've seen some people say that he got a new floor put on but i talked to summers about it and his general impression was that the car was apart and it was related to him smacking the wall and denying himself uh his long run practice in fp2 and so they get it together but he's out late and then we see mercedes on ultra soft tires in the first qualifying session and man they were terrible they couldn't even get close to the front and in fact as time ran out hamilton dropped from about ninth or tenth to 14th he was two tenths of a second away from not even making the second qualifying session that's how tight it was and in fact uh, i believe it was um uh vassour who 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 uh who texted Toto Wolf and said, do you know what the difference between being a genius and an idiot is? Two tenths of a second. Um, and Neil, are you actually a Vettel fan as well as a Ferrari fan? Um, I think when we started doing this podcast, it was around when Vettel just won his fourth title. And I remember really hating Seb 
I've, I've <laughs> always hated Vettel. And, oh, it, it's frustrating because I, I love Ferrari simply because a bit of nostalgia growing up. Um, I definitely think Hamilton's a better driver. But I, I went into this weekend and I thought, after what happened at Monza, I'm just gonna I'm gonna back Seb. I'm gonna give him everything. And again, it kind of all started with um, him hitting the wall in practice. Uh, I'm interested to hear Matt saying that the repair work they were doing before qualifying was related to what happened on Friday. So why why did they spot it so late? Surely, I mean, I'm not an engineer, but surely that's something they should have done overnight instead of waiting 20 minutes before practice. I mean, before qualifying. I would agree with you. Uh, The information came from a a chat with Summers in terms of I asked him, do you know exactly why it was off? And he says, I think it was probably. And they may have just had some concerns about maybe some suspension parts, maybe some connections, because he hit that wall fairly hard. Maybe they saw something in the data and the last practice that made them concerned and they wanted to check it. Maybe they thought they were losing some arrow off the floor. Maybe there was some damage that, that they thought they might have missed. I don't know. You can come up with a lot of reasons. But what was astonishing was immediately after Mercedes just about screw the whole thing up and Q1 with the ultra soft tires for Q2. Here comes Ferrari on the ultra soft tires. Same gamble, same problem. They get halfway through the session. Raikkonen is like, these tires are too slow. And so Ferrari says, box, box, in he comes. But we have the bizarre scenario of Vettel telling his team, no, I can do this. I can give you that half of a second. And they're like, no, it's too big of a risk. Come in. And at this point, you begin to get the sense that Ferrari was not a happy place to be at that point. They weren't together. They weren't on the same page. And yeah, you know at that point that their main strategy for the race has been punted. Right. And this is now the second race in a row where qualifying for Ferrari hasn't been really smooth. They had that slipstreaming issue in Monza and they released, they meant to release Seb behind Lewis to get a toe from him, but they ended up behind a Renault. And I I recall there was an issue in Spa where they dropped the Ferrari quite heavily and damaged the floor. And it just seems, as Spanners has alluded to this in the past, that Mercedes is this well-oiled machine and they're just getting everything right and they're just so used to winning. Ferrari, again, like another weekend, it just seems Vettel's having to think too much about the stuff that he shouldn't really be dealing with. And clearly someone on the pit wall, the, the communication is just not there. Whoever's making those decisions just seems like they, um, you know, let's, let's put it this way, it wouldn't happen at Mercedes. Yeah, look, if you want, a beautiful, fast car. Go and buy an Italian car. I'll just leave it there. Anyway, moving into Q3, Raikkonen was um, was just jumping ahead of everybody, overtaking, desperate to get clean air. I know you were telling me the effects of dirty air in qualifying here are a little bit different to other tracks, Matt. Yeah, this is something that came up in the uh, Sky broadcast. Um, I don't remember who said it, but the drivers were told in qualifying that if they wanted to be clear of the effects of the air of the car in front of them, they needed an eight second gap because the walls are so close that the turbulence is contained. And so it's not two seconds. It's not three seconds. It's actually eight seconds. So So, does that explain why Raikkonen was so desperate to get to the front? But then in doing so, he's ended up what cooking his tires, overheating them for the run. Well, now, and this was a fascinating thing. Yes, it seemed like Ferrari had Ferrari's tire preparation was all about getting the tires up to a certain temperature and they were trying to get them hot. And what was happening was that Hamilton was out in front of them and he was going incredibly slow. In fact, I even 
I believe I heard Sky say they weren't even using tire warmers to try and get the tires to be exactly where they wanted them. Oh. And so so Ferrari's preparation and Mercedes preparation, you know, uh, oil and water, as it were. And so, yeah, Raikkonen went round and his lap was terrible. And then Lewis went round and well, we all know what happened then. Well, the chat room are kind of uh, wondering, uh, they're pontificating on the fact that Ferrari don't treat their drivers very well at the moment. Um, Evangelos says uh, there are many Hamilton fans and there are many Ferrari fans, but there aren't many Vettel fans around. Please explain. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Un-American says uh, he actually feels bad for Ferrari drivers because they're loved until they're dropped. And then no one thinks about them anymore, which is I'm not you know, fairly sure true about that because Barrichello and Massa sort of hung around Ferrari for, for years and Massa still got a massive reception on the podium after the Italian Grand Prix. And I also have to give a shout out to Mark Greenhow, who corrected me. It was the wheel warmers that Mercedes didn't use, um, not the tire warmers uh, in preparation for Q3. But it was such a thing that Vettel on the radio made a comment to the team. We should look at what Mercedes is doing because they're doing something different and, and their tire preparation is better. Well, the main thing they had different was they didn't have Lewis Hamilton in the car and for him to go in there and be so far ahead of his own teammate and so far ahead of Sebastian Vettel in that first run, it just looked to me, and we are amateur pundits, but it looked to me like he just hit everything absolutely on the edge and perfectly um, Anil, is this Hamilton's Senna in Monaco 1990 magic lap? I think it's up there with that lap he did earlier in the season at Australia, where he, I think he beat Vettel by like seven tenths of a second to take pole. Um, it was an amazing lap. I also have to say, Verstappen's lap for P2 was absolutely amazing. And I don't know where it came from, because I didn't expect any Red Bull to get ahead of uh, Ferrari or a Mercedes, but Vettel finished, sorry, Verstappen beat both. Ferraris mm-hmm. and a Mercedes. I think both of those drivers at the front proven why they're the best qualifying drivers. I've got to say as well, talking about the tyre prep, if you watch Hamilton's on board, he just has so much grip at the end of the lap to fully commit. And I think it just shows back in the years ago, people would say, oh, Hamilton struggles a bit with the tyres. Maybe he can be a bit inconsistent, maybe at the beginning of the season with them. But once he understands them, he he absolutely just gets it. Um, you compare his lap to Bottas's, it's very clear that he absolutely nailed the tie prep. And then on his actual lap, he was just completely committed in that final sector. Definitely one of the best laps I've seen for a long time. Okay, so it could also be down to the fact that Mercedes definitely has the best car. Okay, no time to argue. Let's move on. And now it's time to move on to the race where Matt will tell us, without arguing my last point, where the race was won and lost. Well, actually, I've done this a little bit differently. This time around, because this is this is actually a very interesting narrative story. The race was won and lost, aside from the start, with the tires and with the traffic. That's all it came down to. With the tires, it came down to Ferrari having yet again for the second race running a single set of softs for each driver. They ran them not at all in practice, bearing in mind that that Vettel's running was curtailed in any event, and. It was only the people running the ultra softs at the beginning of the race who benefited from having lots of them. And this was interesting because until we got to qualifying, 
the ultrasofts were working very well for Ferrari. And then when we got to qualifying, they stopped entirely and they were never quite able to get them back in the window. So that was one thing. And a quick shout out to McLaren for awesome strategy and taking advantage of that. Good. Well, initially, I can actually argue with both your points. So you think it's been one with the tyres and the pit stops um, in that he had traffic. I don't think the traffic stopped him getting up there with Lewis Hamilton. I think the bottom line is Mercedes had so much pace in hand on that first stint that he was just able to turn it up and pull whatever gap he wanted the second that Seb went for the undercut. And I love that you assume when I mentioned traffic, I was talking about Vettel in the first stint and not Verstappen in the second stint. Uh, Okay, but relative Vettel to Hamilton, the traffic didn't stop Vettel from uh, closing the gap on Hamilton. As soon as Vettel went to pit, even on uh, on newer tyres, he could not match the pace of Hamilton when he decided to turn the wick up to stop the undercut. Right. What was interesting and traffic related was not that in the beginning of the race, but it was Perez in front of Vettel after the pit stop, which what happens is I went back and looked at the times and my only caveat here is that the times on the app and the times for the TV people seem to be a little bit off. There were some discrepancies. People were complaining about it. But looking at the lap times, lap 15 was where Perez was the last lap that Perez was basically as fast as Sorotkin, whom he was eventually trapped behind. He was slower at 16. He was slower. And when he finally came in at 17 uh, in sequence with uh, Verstappen, he had lost enough time that he came out behind them. And the question is, do you think Force India maybe left him out there? Could he not drive to the time? Or did he waste his tires defending against Vettel when he really shouldn't have? That's not how I saw it. I didn't I didn't see that Vettel was hindered by Perez after his first stop. Anil? I'm pretty sure Vettel lost about two and a half seconds on that lap to Perez. Yeah. He lost loads. Yeah, he did. Because he, he did, yeah, he did a PB or even the fastest sector. I think, yeah, he lost about two and a half, two and three quarter seconds. So you, are, you guys, are you guys saying that if it wasn't no. for Perez, Vettel would have been no, no, ahead no. of Hamilton? No, I'm saying, no. So he, he easily would have had Verstappen. Let's just, oh, right. He well, easily would have had Verstappen, but he would have been, he would have been closer oh, to, okay. um, he would have been closer to Lewis. But ultimately, if you look at, the nature of the Singapore circuit, and you see this every year, is if everyone just pushes, you tend to get a fill spread of about three seconds between cars. And you've got to have an extraordinary outlap to really get an undercut on the driver ahead of you. So um, Perez certainly cost Vettel P2, but I don't think oh, it, right. yeah, well, ultimately Hamilton would have had it. Yeah, but what I mean is Vettel on pace was not a threat to Lewis Hamilton today. So the race wasn't won and lost by the tyres and the fact he was held up by Perez. Hamilton won that race by doing a stonking qualifying lap and having great race pace as well, Matt. I'm not going to agree with that because they put Vettel out on the ultra soft tyres that had turned terrible for them. And by lap 19, lap 19, lap 19, Vettel was like, this is a bad choice. These tires are not going to make it home. But he was slower in the first stint as well on the Hypersoft tires. Uh, slower in the first stint. Uh, Hamilton was not running at his full pace and neither was Vettel. We don't have a great comparison between the two of them. We really don't because what? they're all trying to manage the Hypersoft to go long enough to make a one stop. But here's the crucial difference. Mercedes brought 
three sets of soft tires. They ran those soft tires and they understood how to use them correctly in the race. Ferrari did not. And Ferrari, and granted, they make that choice a while ago. But again, two races in a row, they really needed that soft tire to work and they didn't have the information they needed to use it to their advantage. Ultimately, track position decided the outcome of this race. Um, if it was the other way, if it, if it was the other way around, I don't think anything would have changed. It's just the nature of the circuit. Um, I would say Mercedes pace on the soft. I think a lot of people going into the weekend thought the soft was going to be a useless tire. But I think the thing to keep in mind is in the races now, they're not sprinting to the end. They're just going to a set pace. And you could see from the onboards, no one was particularly pushing. I think even Hamilton's times in the first end, he was 12 seconds slower than he was yesterday. So ultimately, qualifying is what decided this race. All right. The chat room um, seemed to think that it's all the fault of actually Ferrari, firstly, for their tyre choice, which they seem to think was fairly substandard. And secondly, for their timing. Philip Allen says that it was Ferrari's choice when to pit Vettel. And it was clear, even before that he pitted, that Perez was going to be an issue. So why did they do it like that? Okay, so I've seen a lot of comments about people um, kind of calling for the head of the Ferrari strategy guys. And I think you tend to see this a lot in Formula One where a driver gets a, a bad strategy and everyone says, oh, yeah, it was terrible, it was terrible. I don't think Ferrari's strategy was that bad. I think they were, they were in second. Vettel got a good start. And they basically went for the undercut, didn't they? They went for the ultra soft. Um and Vettel came out into clean air initially. I think he had two or three laps until he caught Perez. It was only once he caught Perez. And that was when he started to lose a lot of time. And that's what allowed Verstappen to end up coming off ahead. Um, they could have been conservative and gone for the soft tyre, but that wouldn't have helped them regarding Verstappen. Perhaps the only thing they could have done is to run long. But ultimately, I don't think their decision at the time was that wrong. Matt, feel free to disagree with me. I'll tell you what, well, Matt, before, before you disagree... Wasn't there only one laps difference between Seb and Lewis pitting? Yes. Yeah, there was. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I was so surprised that he managed to catch up with Perez so quickly because I'm sure Vettel came out and there was a four second gap ahead. But anyway, let's just caveat that we're disagreeing with that. So he caught up five seconds in one lap, Matt. Well, I don't know if he caught up five seconds in one lap. As I as I mentioned, the timings on the app were a little bit um, yeah dodgy yeah. today. But he had clean air initially to, to drive into, and I believe. Hamilton emerged in front of Perez, and the following lap was the lap that Vettel got by. But the question was never really, was Vettel's undercut going to work on Hamilton? It wasn't. His outlap wasn't fast enough, and Hamilton's inlap was fast enough. Yeah. The question was, was he going to stay ahead of Verstappen? And this is when I just want to go back and point out Q2, where Ferrari was unable to convert their strategy of starting on the ultra soft tires. They were up against it. Their preferred strategy was never in play for this race because they couldn't start on the tire they wanted to. And that was an argument that Vettel was having during qualifying. I will say that I think Ferrari as a team is in a little bit of disarray, whether it's due to the pressure, pressure, the loss of Marchione, I don't really know. But operationally, they seem to be um, sorting out some issues right now, yeah. and it honestly reminds me a bit of Haas. Well, when you're when you're when you've got the kind of underdog status with the second best car, it does help you sometimes to try and run a bit of an alternate strategy, which Ferrari weren't able to do. Look, I'm 
I, we will talk about who's got the best car in a little bit. But I mean, God, Mercedes looks so strong. I know you're putting it down to Vettel didn't do this right. They didn't get their right tyres. They didn't get in the right pit stop window. Uh, they were stuck behind Perez. All of this is ignoring the fact that Lewis Hamilton went out there, did like a historic qualifying lap to get ahead. And he got a great launch off the line and wasn't involved in the T1 scuffle. He wasn't having to fight Max Verstappen. He didn't have people swamping him. Let's just put our hands up here and say Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, in a track where they've failed at before, have just done an amazing job. I couldn't argue with that. But I will point out that the fastest Sector 1 in qualifying belonged to Sebastian Vettel. And the fastest Sector 2 belonged to Max Verstappen. So if we're going to talk about cars and relative merits, I say the cars are close enough that Mercedes, the team, and Hamilton, the driver, are now what's making the difference in the championship. Yep, uh, I completely agree with that. I also have to say I really enjoyed, um, and I think Spanners, you were quite keen to talk about this, the the radio talk of Hamilton saying the tyres are fine, Ferrari maybe mishearing that, and telling Vettel and Vettel going, I don't believe him. Uh, I thought that, I thought that was great. Well, actually, I misheard that as well. Because I heard Hamilton say that and I thought, oh, great, he's talking about the tyres again. And I was thinking, surely he's just managing this pace. Otherwise, he's really slow. So when he said, oh, when I thought he'd said the tyres were shot, I went, oh, my goodness, you know, he's he's not just keeping a train behind him to stop people having good pit windows. He's actually struggling. But then uh, apparently I'm wrong. Apparently he said his tyres were completely fine. And why wouldn't they be, Anil, if he's driving that slowly? Yeah, I definitely didn't think there was going to be a problem with the tyres. Um, as I said earlier, he was going about 11 seconds off the pace. And in those early laps as well, he was going so slowly that I think Vettel was about a second behind him. And then Verstappen was a second behind Seb. And that doesn't happen at this circuit if the cars are pushing. Yeah. Um, although there may have actually been additional team radio that we don't hear. Because sometimes what's broadcast is different to what the teams all hear. They've got like an additional channel. But yeah, I'm, I, I think the um, Ferrari pit guys probably got the message wrong and told Seb the wrong message. And why bother saying that? Because Seb himself, if he's a second behind Lewis, has a, a pretty good shot of Lewis's rear tyres. It just seemed like a really pointless message. <laughs> this brings us all, doesn't it, Matt, to the tactics on street ver- uh, circuits versus normal circuits. So we saw, I think, in Bahrain, Mercedes uh, messed up by choosing track position on a track where it was very easy to pass. But now what we're seeing basically with street circuits, we saw it in Monaco as well, the tyre wear doesn't matter to some extent because if you've got the lead, you can pretty much park it and just wait until you think you've got to the point where your next set of tyres will finish the race. You can, with the caveat that traffic matters, and we can look at the midfield to understand this if we look at what happened to Perez. It wasn't enough for anyone to park it. You had to go fast enough to have a pit window and not get stuck behind someone. And uh, in this race, getting stuck behind a Williams turned out to be the worst possible choice. And getting stuck behind a Force India was about second worst, at least, uh, you know, in terms of Vettel, it, it cost him an extra three points in his championship chase. All right, let's have a row. Whose fault is it? Quite a few contacts. Some of them didn't involve Perez, uh, believe it or not. But there was a first lap incident, as there is so often here in Singapore, which caused a safety car. Now, we've had this a few times this season where there's been a lap one incident. A safety car has been called. So we had it in Spa as well. And then the car sort of circulate for four laps. On the face of it, that might be quite disappointing. But I've gotten to enjoy it 
because there's the first corner and first lap melee. A safety car is called, so you don't have to worry about what's actually happening in the race. And you've got about four or five minutes just to sit down, watch all the replays, hear the commentators talking about it, argue with everyone on Twitter before like race two starts. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> and in fact, I rarely say go read my race reviews. But I have to say, I feel like this week's was a masterpiece, mostly because I had plenty of time to sit around and craft everything carefully as the race was actually happening. Yeah, exactly. We had that time. So let's get into whose fault this is. The first incident was, uh, it's just such a shame. The young Frenchman, you know, he's got so much potential and everyone loves him. Yet he piles around the outside with this careless manoeuvre and with all the room in the world, Anil, just crashes into his teammate of all people. Oh, Esteban, you're not doing yourself any favours, son. There are times where people ask me why I don't do this podcast more and... As soon as that incident happened, I knew exactly, exactly what was going to come out of your mouth. Okay, Perez intended to leave Ocon a car's width. He just lost it a little bit in the corner, perhaps understeered on colder tyres, and hit Ocon. Ocon's entitled to go around the outside. I think Perez is entitled to be a bit feisty. Um, of course, what ended up happening was much, much worse. Uh, and had the events of the incident that Perez got involved later on in the race not occurred, I think people would maybe give... Perez a bit of slack, but yeah. But Matt, come on. I know you're an Ocon fan, but there was a lot of room to the right-hand side of Esteban Ocon. It was an unnecessary risk. Why was he running so close to Perez in, in such a low-grip early phase of the race? That's, that's your teammate. It's just reckless. Yeah, you know, there was so much room that at the most minor contact, Ocon was directly into the wall. Now, you could argue, and... I would agree that Ocon was definitely trying to compromise Perez's exit from that corner. I wouldn't argue with that at all. But where I take exception is that, and you being a smart person who probably did some maths, will know that if we start looking at radial velocity and we look at where the contact occurred, if we straighten that out, much like two runners on a track, the runner on the inside is next to the runner on the outside, they exit that curve and suddenly the runner on the outside is far, far ahead. Ocon was ahead of Perez, plain and simple. And the worst part of it is that if you look at the steering, you can see Ocon was actually steering away from Perez. But if you look at Perez on board, you can see him snap that wheel to the right just before they hit. And I'm sorry to me, you have violated the Bradley Philpott oh, rule no. of lane departure at that point and smashed into your teammate, costing the team valuable points. I can't wait to see how Spanners manages to bring up Nico Rosberg in this. Oh, so, oh, Spanners, I, over to you. I am saving that for the Sorokin Hartley <laughs> incident. Um, for my money, I don't think that Ocon was ahead. Um, for my for my money, if if Perez had not had Ocon there and he had still understeered he would have still had a, a car's width to his right-hand side. I I do feel like, you know, Ocon is one of the most popular guys on the grid right now, and Perez could not have picked a worse person to steer into. However, that right-hand motion, I've learned, because I listen to Bradley Philpott's masterclass and pay attention, Matt. That's why I finished sixth at the Missed Apex karting event and not 100th, or wherever it is you were. If you're understeering, and we're saying he did understeer, and Neil's saying he did understeer, actually, the, instinctively, you or I would steer to the left to avoid that but what you should really do is try and straighten up your wheel 
to get the cars, the front wheels biting and gripping again. I think that's what Perez has done there. Still so much room to the right-hand side. Okay. Problem one. Your argument is much like saying, well, if there wasn't gravity, the rock that I dropped wouldn't have gone through your windshield. That's true. Problem that's true. two. I have also listened to the to the Bradley Philpott masterclass, and I do know, and you can probably help refresh my memory. Why is it that we understeer spanners? If we were going oh, too that's fast, right. we've carried too much <laughs> speed into the corner, and why have we done that? I don't know. Maybe because our teammate is faster than us, and we don't want to let him by. The only thing we cannot say for sure is was it understeer, or oversteer, or was it on purpose? But what we absolutely know is that it was Perez turning the steering wheel and hitting his teammate. His reckless teammate coming up too fast and too close on the outside. I tell you what, how dare you be faster than me? We've got, we've got. I've got. I tell you what, let's let's get let Bradley settle this. Then let's assume that he's giving us a concise whose fault is this explanation on the thing you've just sent me. Uh, this has not been prepped or edited, so if he's like just being amazingly racist or insulting, that is that's on him. All right, let's do it. So my opinion on the Perez Ocon crash today at the start of the race is that. There really was a gap for Ocon to go around the outside. I think he made a really shrewd move to go around the outside of Perez. And the only thing that actually caused the accident was Perez straightening the wheel, whether that was... Oh, it's cut out. Fine, we'll listen to the rest of it. <laughs> ...to try and run Ocon wide, or whether it was correcting a small moment of oversteer. But for whatever reason, the consistent gap which Ocon was driving into suddenly disappeared when Perez moved a few inches across to the right and made contact. So... I'd say racing incident with uh, a bias of the blame towards Perez, and I wouldn't blame Ocon at all for going for that move. What does he know? Nothing. Mm, yeah, probably. Fine. Let's move on then swiftly to it's probably a bit more of a clear-cut one. Uh, Perez versus Sergei Sorokin. Now, Perez was being really, really frustrated. I think we're, we're not going to argue about whose fault the contact was, because clearly it was Perez's. Um he was struggling to get past. He eventually got a better run and he's coming down the outside. Sergei Sorokin is to his left-hand side and it just looked to me like Perez moved over to try and cut his nose off. You know, like much like Hamilton did in Monza, got the job done on Kimi Raikkonen, moved over to say, no, I got you. This is, this is clearly my place. But he wasn't far enough ahead. He's mucked it up. He's made contact and he's ruined his own race. We're talking about the Sorokin incident here, yeah? Yeah. This is one of those really rare incidents in Formula 1 where... You could tell they were going to collide before all that. Like in, in the five or six laps where Perez was trying to get past Rock, and you could hear his team radio, and he was clearly not happy. I was watching it thinking, something's going to happen here. And I think he said something about Charlie. Can Charlie get involved? I don't know what he was talking yeah. about. Um, yeah, it's completely deliberate. I mean, he was nowhere near. He, he hadn't got past um, Sorokin's front wing. He's got two mirrors. He knows he's there. You can hear the car there. And... I, I'm amazed he did not get black bags. For me, it was completely deliberate. Yeah, the the call to Charlie was absolutely about Sorotkin's tactics on defending. He felt that Sorotkin was defending unfairly. And he was building up. I mean, and this is, you know, if he has a weakness as a driver, if all drivers have a weakness, it tends to be very much this. My car is a lot faster. You are doing things that I think that are unfair. So now I'm just going to teach you a crash. You know, it it, it reminds me of, I, I saw a car one time in New York do something and the other car got angry and honked and the car in front put it in reverse and drove backwards into the car that honked. It was that kind of a road rage moment for Perez. It was a poor choice. 
the red mist had thoroughly descended because he knew his race was over and done with. Because ahead of him, you had Alonzo and Sainz and Leclerc running along on the ultra softs. And all he's sitting there is staring at this negative delta that's just getting bigger and yeah. bigger and bigger lap after lap after lap and there was nothing he could do about it okay we'll see what the chat room thinks but steve for my money i've never seen any kind of indication that perez is like that he comes across to me as a genuine dude like i just he hasn't shown us that kind of temper in the past and when ocon uh quite viciously uh smashed him out in 2017 Baku by running him wide onto the outside into the wall, leaving no space whatsoever. He was pretty mild-mannered about that. Um, just needed an excuse to, to mention that. Uh, but what does the chat room think, Steve? Well, firstly, I've got to say, I'm not quite so sure about Perez. I've always scratched my head and thought he was a petulant sort of driver. I just had, you know, since whenever he came into the, the sport, he's always seemed to me someone who complains and uh, tends to push his teammates and, and others right to the edge. Anyway, the, the chat room are really after his blood, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Raul Waters says Perez had a Fanati moment. It's just that he couldn't reach into the cockpit. Oh, with the, uh, the guy who reached over and grabbed the, the biker's brake. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, oh, but I don't think so. After, well, the thing is, though, after having been stuck behind him and finally pulling off the move... I don't think that would be his instinct would be, right, I'll just ruin everything. I've put all that effort into getting past him, and now I'm just going to chin him. Uh, go on, carry on, Steve. Uh, um, Ray Thompson says that Perez winds more than a straight-cut gearbox, which is dead right. And, <laughs> and Rob Graham just says, dick dastardly. <laughs> Very cunning. Okay, good. Right then. Um, so we're, we're blaming Perez for that. I still am going to maintain that that is just, he was trying to, Show him his gearbox, and it's gone wrong. He's made an error there. I'd love to hear it from his own words. So, is let's... he paying you, Spanners? Does he have like, does he have your bank details? Or he's got incriminating photographs of me in compromising hotel room situations. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that doesn't stop your career. You can rise to the very top of power and, and have that kind of situation against you. Um, but uh, let's go on to the next. Whose fault is this? Um, Sergey Sorokin again. That dastardly Sergey Sorokin penalised for impeding uh, Brendan Hartley. So, who do we think fault was it, Matt? Oh, that was that was Sorokin's fault. There's about zero doubt about that, and the answer is because he basically drove Hartley off the track before the corner, not after the corner. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, Anil is going to have a different view. Because when we argued years ago in 2016 about Nico Rosberg punting off uh, Lewis Hamilton on the outside, you said to me, this is what you said to me, you said to me, Nico Rosberg does not have to take the apex. He can pick any line he wants. So why is this any different? Sergei Sorokin just picked a much wider line and it was up to Hartley to deal with that. I hate you. Like, (laughs) I I genuinely, I hate you, Spanners. Anyway, first of all, Completely different circumstance. Exactly the same. No, Continue. no, 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 no. It's not because Rockin didn't have like break by wire failure, and there's a ball on the outside. Apologies for the language there, if that counts. Um, so the, the penalty was for forcing another driver off the circuit. However, I haven't. I need to see it again, but I'm pretty sure that um, Hartley locks up and actually runs quite wide anyway. So he actually kind of runs off. Yeah. The main racing, and then it yeah. just seems Rockin kind of follows him off as well. He's like, "Oh, you're gonna go wide, mate." On a 
I will join you. Basically, um, here's how I saw it. I saw it that Sorokin had decided he was going to usher him off to the outside for as long as that took. And I think Hartley probably did overcook it as well. So, yeah, I think you've got a good point. Sorokin's gone, oh, hang on, you still haven't turned, so I'm not still going to turn. Yeah, I, I would certainly lean it towards um, Sorokin's fault. It just seemed a bit clumsy. Um, I don't know what damage he might have actually had at that point, because I know he got barged before, but I would certainly lean it towards him. However, let us never bring up Austria 2016 against Banners. You need to get over it. You need to get over it. Never bring it up. I'm over it. I just want consistency, Anil. I want you to have the same opinion then as you had for this exactly the same scenario. That's all I want. Consistency. That's all I want. Trumpets. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I hate to point it out, but in Austria, because we're going to apparently argue about 2016 now, because why Why In Austria, Hamilton turned the wheel first. And here, neither one of them turned the wheel. Until yeah, Hartley was off different. the track, and that's why Hartley gets the penalty. Oh my god, Anil is so triggered right now. But, oh. you know, the funny thing is, I agreed with you about Austria, but I just am telling you, they're not the same situation. Anil, you can have the last word, my friend. Seeing as that you're probably not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice knowing you both, or three of you. I've nothing more to say. I think it leans towards Sorokin. I think it was clumsy from the pair of them. As I say, I think Hartley clearly messed up his braking zone and almost missed the corner. Sorokin, I guess, misjudged his braking zone because he was too busy looking at Hartley. Um, I think the penalty's fine, but it is what it is. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, let's talk about some blue flags. That's exciting, isn't it? But uh, let's go to Steve here. Um, That was a turning point, wasn't it, in the race, potentially, because Hamilton, that was the only real pressure he came under. 
Uh, yes, I guess it was. Um, you know, up until up until that point, he'd had a fairly clear run. Um, you know, and I and I suppose it, he was just hoping to, to hell that everyone would get out of his way. But it, perhaps he shouldn't expect people to do that. I mean, they're in their own, you know, fighting their own races. Um, so you've got to sort of understand that as you come up behind them. Bert Trumpets, we saw Charlie Whiting getting involved in the green room. They tried to get all the reporters out, but they didn't quite do it in time, did they? No, but I will admit I missed that part of the broadcast. So. Uh, basically, Charlie Whiting came in and he says, uh, oh, yeah, sorry about the blue flags. And then the cameras got kicked out. And we're like, oh, no, come on. Let's hear the rest of that at least. Anil, Anil probably heard that. Yeah, um, this was by far the most interesting part of the race. Oh, no. Hundred percent. It was uh, as in the actual blue flag incident, and not what happened in the uh, in the driver oh, right. room. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a bit. Of, it was a bit strange. I, I did see Lewis had about a five second gap to Verstappen, or maybe six, and then it suddenly dropped to about four. And the next time I looked up at the TV, Verstappen was directly behind Hamilton, and it all seemed to be because. And again, the blue flag situation stuff. Because if you're a driver and you're in a battle and you think you're about two seconds or a lap faster than the car in front of you. You're just thinking, I want to overtake him and disappear. Um, and Lewis just happened to catch a train of cars at the wrong time. I have to admit, I thought Max had a chance. He had the tiniest chance to try and make a lunge or stick a nose in. Um, I think the Max at the beginning of the season probably would have caused um, an incident there. But he thought better. Well, the rule officially is you have to be within 1.2 seconds in order for the blue flags to be triggered. And what happened was... Uh, Botas got up behind Hulkenberg, who was not having the best race, and couldn't get to 1.2 seconds. He literally could not. His reply to his engineers when they were when they told him he needed to be closer was, "If I get that close, I'm going off the track." Now we've seen in years past cars that are very good when they're running in clean air, and maybe not so good when they're in traffic. I have a question, and I think it might be a stupid one. If anyone knows, the answer, I think, will be Matt. Matt, when Lewis Hamilton was approaching those three or four drivers and the blue flags are waving, does that blue flag, is that blue flag for the car at the back of that queue? Or is it for every single car in that queue? It's going to be whatever car is within 1.2 seconds of so, Lewis. It's going to go in order, I believe. Because there was this one really unique moment where Lewis literally stopped the car. And it was when Verstappen literally got up to his gearbox because he seemed to get past one car. And then I think it was Grosjean ahead of that just seemed to have no idea that Lewis was trying to get past him. And then Lewis stamps on the brakes and you you end up in a situation where Lewis loses about four seconds in the space of two or three corners. Um, it just seemed really comical. But I guess the nature of a street circuit where there's not much space on the straights to let drivers through, that's surely going to happen. And you see it at Monaco as well. Yeah, in fact, Grosjean of the pair of Sorotkin and Grosjean and understand that Grosjean had taken the place at that point of Perez and trying to get by Sorotkin. Uh, Grosjean got a five second time penalty for ignoring blue flags while he was in the midst of trying to get around Sorotkin, which ended with Sorotkin taking him entirely and totally off of the track on the exit of a corner, which put it into their battle and was what let Hamilton get by. And then Sorotkin managed to get in the way of Verstappen which is what kept that moment from happening. That and, of course, the brand new Renault Spec C engine, which delivered a lot of power, but also the occasional force neutral upon gear shift. Just thinking then about blue flags. Um, at most races, I would happily support getting rid of them and just letting the drivers let drivers buy when they have to instead of kind of forcing penalties. 
Um, but I think at this circuit, and probably Monaco as well, you basically do need uh, blue flags. And I think they've got to look at the gap that the drivers need to um, be within. It, it clearly did not work at all. And Matt, you alluded to the Bottas incident later on. I think Bottas spent about 30 laps trying to lap a Renault, which, which yeah. is unbelievable, really, when you think about it. It is, but I would be, I would have loved to have seen if Raikkonen could have gotten by because that's down to a difference in how they set up their arrow and how they set up for the race. Anyway, just, just a random stray thought there. I sort of like the idea of saying, let's not have blue flags. It's up to those guys to just get past. Wouldn't work in Singapore or Monaco, but frankly, I don't think those kind of street circuits should be part of Formula One. Formula E does an amazing job of street circuits, doesn't it, Neil? And Formula E, it suits street circuits doesn't suit formula one and it's such a shame when we've had so many good races at places like paul ricard the tilkadromes the, the the ones that everybody gets really upset about actually they're the ones that suit modern formula one cars there yeah we could get rid of blue flags and say it's just up to you to get those guys um but i don't like it in karting events when they have no blue flags because it penalizes people with no racecraft and i end up just sitting behind a back marker no no matter how fast i am uh anil before we move on you have another point well yeah just kind of following up from that and you're talking about the street circuits in general. Um, it's a shame that Monza, we basically had Lewis tailing Kimi for like, what, 20 odd laps. And they were in a second of each other because the cars don't get spread out. And then you go to Singapore and the cars can't get to within two or three seconds without, you know, really struggling. And as you say, for those type of circuits, just leave it to Formula E because those cars can get really close to each other. I, I know Singapore is an amazing event and the cars looked incredible in qualifying, but Come on, it's a two-hour Grand Prix. I need something. I fell asleep for like 10 laps. A lot of the Come purists, and like, and like Jake Sanson made the point last week, he said, you know, we used to be fine and happy with waiting three or four races for a, a good race to come along. Yeah, well, guess what? Things have changed. I, I am just not, I'm not happy with that anymore. I don't want a series that occasionally delivers a good race when we could so easily make an event where, we might complain if there was half the race doesn't have a lot of action, but generally every week there's an opportunity for people to pass and race each other. I just want to bring up Vettel if we can move to Vettel and his strategy at Ferrari. Um, whilst the race was pretty dry, there was this underlying kind of tension about whether Vettel was going to get to the end on his tyres. And especially, I think very early on, there was a radio message from him where he said, I don't think I can get to the end. Um, I was fairly convinced early on that he was going to have to make another pit stop and probably fall back behind that train of Bottas, uh, Raikkonen, and I think it was Daniel Ricciardo in the second Red Bull. And you saw at the very end, well, towards the end of the Grand Prix in the last 20 laps, I think he lost about 25 seconds to Verstappen, so his tyres were clearly shot. Um, If there was one tiny bit of tension in that top six battle, it, it would be, you know, could Vettel get to the end? But overtaking so hard anyway, he probably would have, he would have been able to defend it. Okay, so yeah, there's some excitement. I want to ask the chat room a question and uh, I want my panel to answer it first because about three weeks ago, I think it was after Spa, I said, what car would you rather be in for the title running? Would you rather be in a Ferrari or a Mercedes? Assuming that you're a really good race driver, okay? You don't get to pick the driver. It's you and you're really good. Uh, So, Anil, for this title running, you're on even points. Which car do you want? The Ferrari or the Mercedes? We're going to say Mercedes, because if you're saying not the you're saying me personally, but presumably that comes with the pit wall, the strategy, that winning mentality. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the cars are basically even. Oh, that's an I like that caveat. Go on then, trumpets. You? Me? 
if you ask me, I'd take the Ferrari as long as Mercedes was the team that came with it. But oh. if I had to pick one, I'd go with the stronger team because the cars are really that close. Okay. I still oh, think so, Ferrari oh, has right. a bit of a pace advantage, but I don't think it's enough of a pace advantage to make up for their lack of organization, something that you may or may not know anything about having occasionally worked in that country, not racist. So you flip-flopped quite a bit from saying Ferrari have got easily the most dominant, bestest car that history has ever produced to now saying they're kind of uh, even and it's just the pit crews mm-hmm. that are making the difference. Not sure that I ever said That's what I remember. That. Well, yeah, I know. Memory can be a little bit dodgy, though. You want to be careful about that unless you have the receipts lined up. No, I, I think Ferrari maintains the pace advantage. I think uh, Auto, Motor und Sport said they had about a 10-horsepower advantage and we've seen all season long their car has been easier to get into the window what has changed and what was particularly evident today was that after spa mercedes has made a real breakthrough not only in the setup of their car but in their understanding of the tires and we know from talking to alex that even a single setup change can be worth up to seven tenths so if mercedes is on it and ferrari is not the car alone is not going to make up for that I think we've been spoiled in the past when we think like, oh, car X is faster than car Y. And we think that means like, oh, it's it's clearly faster. You know, there's a difference between being a tenth faster or maybe theoretically faster over the course of a race um, and actually being faster on a Sunday. Because there are multiple factors that go into that, tyres, engine modes, traffic, whatever. Uh, I think they're just, they are incredibly close together. And at this point, I just trust Mercedes more to yeah. get yeah. the results. Um, a classic example is how many one twos have you seen Ferrari get over the last two years? And in my head, it's two races from last year. It was Monaco and Hungary, and that's it. So you can have an amazing car, you can have two world champions, but ultimately you need to deliver the results. I don't trust Ferrari to get the results, so I'd rather be in a Merc. And I could beat Bottas. <laughs> I'm telling you, I could beat Bottas. Give you're, me the world title, Well, maybe. you chickened out of coming to the Missed Apex Karting. You better not chicken out of the next event either, because you bring and me are, I, I will bring it, and I will give you the cookies I owe you from Renault beating the now-defunct Force India team, unfortunately. Um, but, Matt, you always ask me when I talk about fastest to define fastest, and I think that's a completely a fair question. H- here's what I think about these two cars, and I think this has been the case all season. If Mercedes get their setup right and their drivability right, they have the overall biggest potential to find on a race weekend for race pace and qualifying. I think if Mercedes get it right, it's in their hands any given weekend this season. It's only when they're a little bit off on the setup that then the other cars have a chance. Ferrari has a chance to pick them. That's the opinion that I have and I'm happy to stand by. I have no problem with that. Although Lewis in a post-race interview said he thought that Ferrari had a bit of a pace advantage, but yeah, you know, he's, he's a driver. What would he know about that? But frankly, if we're talking about the fastest car, then we should be driving the Haas because they had fastest lap in the race. So clearly they're the fastest car. Go K Mag. Uh, you said you were going to ask the chat room what they thought of it, Spanners. I will. Well, before that, before think. that, I want to ask Steve, which car would you rather be in, Steve? And neither of them have any aggressive snakes or kangaroos. Uh, however, if you want, we can make it seem like a kangaroo pouch for you being all sort of moist and nutritious. <laughs> oh, that sounds delicious. Um, for, for my own opinion, um, I think I'd probably take the Mercedes car. 
at this stage. And the reason is that it has a long history of being reliable and fast. The Ferraris have got fast, but I'm not so sure that they are 100%, you know, baked in and reliable as yet. As far as the chat room goes, um, it's a real mixed bag. Um, uh, New European says that he'd go for the Ferrari because they have better grid girls. Whether that helps. That is the chat room's opinion and not the opinion of <laughs> Missed Apex Podcast, who is very happy with the current situation in most Formula One pre race <laughs> presentations. <laughs> Low Stealth says that he'd have the Red Bull chassis, the Ferrari engine, the Merck team, Lewis as a driver. He said that would be the perfect setup. Not bad, not bad and, at all. And, and Ray Thompson says, add to that, stroll money. You'd have the perfect, unbeatable team. Well, that's just good for the after party, isn't it? But okay, look, we're going to have a race in 60 seconds in a little while. I'm going to do a tweet tomorrow to ask people whether they would rather have the Mercedes or the Ferrari. Last time it was two thirds in the favour of Ferrari. I think that may have swung after this dominant weekend performance. Uh, and Neil, how did departing two-time world champion Fernando Alonso get on today? Yeah, he had an amazing race. He he ran this ridiculously long stint on the Ultrasoft because, of course, he qualified P11, which if you could ask any team or any driver that wasn't in the top six, where could they qualify? He kind of would all give you this really awkward answer of kind of don't want to make it to Q3. He qualified um, 11th, I think, so he was the first driver to get free tyre choice, ran an incredibly long stint. And whilst everyone was kind of covering each other or having to pit early on the Hypersofts, he then stuck on a set of softs and... um yeah, P7, and I think he's had a few P7s here in McLaren Honda, you know, those those glory days of McLaren Honda. So he was probably the, I guess he was the Formula 1.5 winner today. Um, and I've been following the Formula 1.5 championship very closely, and it's always absolutely amazing. Who's winning? Still Hulkenberg? I'm going to have to get back to you, but I think it was Hulkenberg, one of the Haas drivers, although given what happened to them today, that probably didn't happen, did it? I want that statistic by the end of the show, Anil Palmer. Um, Am I allowed to lay down that kind of demand? That was a bit bit dictatorial, wasn't it? Um, Anil, it'd be really cool if you got that stat by the end of the show, bro. I'll edit it so that it only leaves the nice bit. Tell you what, Matt, before we go to the podium, why don't you give us an idea about the race, but don't take too long. Tell you what, I'll give you 60 seconds. Lights out. Good start, Hamilton. Vettel on Verstappen. Ocon and Perez. Contact. Ocon out. Vettel past Verstappen. Safety car. Safety car in. Good start, Hamilton. Vettel pits. Ultra soft out behind Perez. Hamilton pits. Softs in front of Perez. Vettel trap behind Perez. Verstappen pits. Vettel gets Perez. Verstappen out. Verstappen ahead of Vettel. P2. Vettel tires go off. Race over. Perez pits. Perez stuck behind Sorotkin. Perez hits Sorotkin. Perez gets penalty. Grosjean and Sorotkin. Grosjean and Sorotkin hold up Hamilton. Verstappen catches Hamilton. Hamilton passes Sorotkin. Sorotkin holds up Verstappen. Ham! A little bit slower now. A little bit slower now. A little bit slower now. A little bit faster now. A little bit faster now. Checkers! Came back fast lap. So what you're telling me is... It really was all Sirotkin's fault. Good. That's Perez off the hook then. Happy days. Um, let's go to our awards then. Well, Sarah had a really good question about engine penalties and the rest of the season, but I don't actually know the answer off the top of my head. So I was trying to answer it in the chat room. But wait, Anil has an answer. Do tell. 
This was the first race since Abu Dhabi 2016 where all the drivers started the race in the position they qualified in, which blows my mind. So that's no penalties, like engine penalties. That's no one getting penalised for blocking. The order they qualified in was the order they started the race. Uh, that's amazing. Just, right, had to, just had to bring that up. Cool. Tell you what, I am banning Lewis Hamilton from getting thing of the weekend for that stunning lap or even the win. So, Matt Trumpets, who was your thing of the weekend? McLaren and Alonso. Their strategy on the ultra soft worked to perfection and they were best of the rest today, a position that they really don't deserve except for, well, they were actually best of the rest today. And of course, they had a little help from a Williams. Anil. I think I would also say Alonso. If I can't say Hamilton, if you ban me from Hamilton, I, I would say him um, between him and Verstappen. But yeah, I'll go for Alonso for the exact same reason Matt said. Uh, okay, so for me, a uh, thing of the week is, of course, uh, Sergio Perez's robust defence on Ocon managed to hold him off. Uh, unfortunately, Ocon ended up in the wall. Uh, that, but how can you avoid that? If your faster teammate is coming around the outside of you, you've really got no choice, have you? Steve, who is your thing of the weekend and what, the, what is the chat room up to? Um, my thing of the weekend, if I can't nominate Lewis for that amazing lap, um, would have to be, and this is going to stick right in my gut, I can tell you, would have to be Max Verstappen because his lap was also pretty mighty and I'm definitely not a Verstappen fan. So, yeah. Now, yeah. hang on a minute. You wouldn't be keeping to nationalistic stereotypes and supporting Daniel Ricciardo just because he's an Aussie? Of course. I'm not allowed to do that. I get, I'm ham I'm biased. I can't do any of that. Except yeah, when I'm. But, but, but Lewis is, you know, the winning drive, the top driver. Of course you're going to get stick. You know, uh, <laughs> Ricardo's not there. And if he was the number one driver, I guess the people would give me stick for doing it, you know, for supporting him so heavily. Yeah, funnily enough, I, I didn't get that much abuse for being a Max Chilton fan. No, I'm joking. No one was that. Um, but poor Ricardo, though, he has kind of disappeared since he announced his move to Renault. He's been. Pretty anonymous. I, I heard somewhere that um, he's not allowed into any more of the Red Bull technical uh, meetings. He just turns up on the weekend and drives. So you can understand that, you know, he's not putting in too much effort. And obviously, um, Red Bull are not going to, you know, let him know about the latest developments and upgrades and, you know, all their secret strategy and stuff. He's just got to get in the car and do what they tell him now until the end of the season. I've just been accused in the chat room of being Perez Fossey. There we go. What, who, who's the chat room's thing of the week? Oh, uh, I've been too busy talking to you guys. You had one um, job. <laughs> um, Sir Watkin is uh, probably the one that's mentioned quite often. Forgetting on telly. And we should say Steve doesn't yeah. have um, just one job. Uh, Steve actually does all the video and stuff as well. So that's a, a terrible thing for me to say. Let's go on to the bad award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Matt Trumpets? Ferrari's tire allotment. Sorry, there were many choices. Perez okay. was definitely up there, but what if we're talking about the title race, he 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 missed it into Saratkin and he missed it into Ocon. That's twice in one race. Oh, I mean, that's or, a powerful play for missing the apex. Or did he hit but, exactly what he was looking to hit? Either either direction you wish to go with that, Mike. I've friend. got a question then about tires. You've slated the tire selections in the last couple of races. Looking forward, do you know if that is going to affect Sochi, where tires last forever? I don't know because I have yet to see the selected sets. Cool. And Neil They are taking the, they are taking the hypers off to Sochi. Oh good. Thank goodness for that. But even then, I mean it's such a low abrasion track, isn't it, Neil? 
Yes, well, here's what's going to happen, Spanners, and we all know this. Um, we're going to test out the Hypersoft, and everyone's going to say it's degrading too fast. They'll qualify on it. Lap 15, they'll all put the soft and run to the end. Yep. All right. Good. Who missed the Apex for you? I would say Jock Clear or whoever it is on the Ferrari War that makes strategy because they just seem a bit, um, I don't want to say useless. That's a very harsh word. But I think you could do a better job than them. And that's saying a lot because you, you know what I think of you, Spanners. So there you go. You admire me. <laughs> you admire me greatly. Steve, who is your missed Apex person or thing? Uh, my personal one has got to be Perez for, for the very reasons that Matt gave out twice in one race, dubious. So I've got to say that the, the, the chat room seemed to think uh, it could be anybody, but New European has a good suggestion, uh, and that is that Ferrari's Twitter manager missed the whole circuit, not just the Apex. Uh, tell you what, that is going to be a Pony Award. Um yeah, the chat room has a second nomination that I think I feel compelled to put forth, which is the new Formula One app and F1 TV Pro both managed to get it wrong this weekend. Tell us about it. Well, they've updated the app and you can no longer see the timings of the drivers uh, along with the circuit. You no longer get any tire information from the app. And uh, in general, uh, we have received many complaints about about the update to the point where i actually did not update my app just to have access to the old format and i will keep it that way until it entirely stopped working but this stops working the, the whole point of the app is you can see all the live timings and you can see the sectors as they happen and you can yep. see the changes you can almost yep. watch it from the timing screen yep. and they've just but taken no. that away but why else would you give them money uh, I, because it looks pretty now. I don't know. I mean, we we were all we were all rather uh, wondering who exactly was in charge of thinking they were giving someone what they wanted when they did that. And then apparently the TV service, which I will say worked great for me when I was out of town, apparently was down for the first thirty minutes of the race, which was basically the whole race, given what happened to Ferrari. Okay, and I'm going to give the missed Apex Award to Valtteri Bottas. You. You just can't be that far off your teammate and survive in the top team. I mean, this is Heike Kovalainen levels of being behind Lewis Hamilton, isn't it? Uh, you've got to do better for more of the season. I don't know what's going on in the background. I don't know what he's suffering with. But I think in Monza, they just said, yes, we know that there is a performance difference. They didn't say he's got a problem. They didn't cite any kind of excuses. They just It's just that he's he's that far behind. And this is the very top level. It seems like a massive gulf to Lewis Hamilton. You can't help but feel that Bottas must also be underperforming. We've got one award left, which is... Daddy, I want a pony! And I want it now! Um, as the chat room mentioned, we do have to give a pony award to the Ferrari Twitter account. It was amazing, Matt. They came out and they said the real winner was boredom. Um... Well, I mean, apart from your deadly rivals, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. Apart from that, yes, boredom was the winner. But that's an astonishing thing for a team to tweet. Yeah, especially because it sure didn't look uh, <clears throat> on their pit wall like they were bored. It looked like there was something else entirely. Sorry, Anil, just just giving you a kick in. This is the real reason Nick didn't come on today, isn't it? It is. He's actually fine. He's actually um, just playing his PlayStation. He's just completely trying to avoid us. Although when you are ready, Spanners, I have the Formula 1.5 standings. So I do want to quickly Ooh, give them out. Excellent. Well, I think we have to mention that Perez also gets a pony because he's shouting there for Charlie. Does Charlie want me to crash? And it didn't look 
like Sergei Sorotkin was doing anything more than defending properly. Um, okay, then give us the Formula One point five standings. Okay, so to clarify, this is a stat. This is um, the finishing results with the top three teams all taken out. So if you finish seventh behind Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes, you actually finish first. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg leads it with 185 points ahead of Carlos Sainz, 172. K Mag, ah. uh, our favourite Danish driver, is third with 159. You've actually got about six drivers within about a win of each other. It's, it's actually really exciting. They should turn this into an actual championship. Although that would probably just highlight the gulf between the teams, but whatever. I love how you had a great idea and then instantly found the floor in it. I love that. Anil, where can people find you online? I'll be on Twitter at NLP228. I talk about most things Formula One, although I won't be for the next week because I'm, I'm sad. But yes, NLP228. Hang on. Does this mean you have something else that you don't want to tell us about? You're going to be watching Strictly Come Dancing or something, and that's why you can't tweet about Formula One. No, it's because I want to avoid all Formula One news. Oh. There's 40-point gaps, man. I'm amazed oh. you haven't dropped a 40-point gap in. I thought earlier on today you were going to say, uh, Neil, it's been... 40 episodes since you last came on here I-, I was expecting more 40s i take no like great pleasure in seeing ferrari fans unhappy yes i like seeing them crushed in a miserable pool of their own early season smugness but that doesn't oh it does oh yeah okay good 40 point gap that is massive anil but anil p228 do follow anil he's very quiet he's very modest but my bet is that in five to ten years, you're going to be a very, very useful man to know in Formula One indeed. Uh, Matt, where can people find you on the internet? At MattPT55, of course, on the Twitters where I hang out and where I'm afraid to announce it because everyone will say I'm a bad parent. Even my daughter is. Oh, 13, 14-year-olds on Twitter? About to be 14, yeah. I've got a feeling by the time my kids get up there, they will already be on all that social media. It's nearly impossible to stop. You just have to police it. If a boulder's running towards you, you don't put your hand out and stop and try and stop it rolling. You run alongside it and try and nudge it in the right direction. Yeah. That's my philosophy. Um, now, Steve doesn't believe in social media. He thinks it's a liberal plot to steal beer and snakes, which he loves. However, you do have for us... Comment of the week. Yeah, well, I do. And the chat room has been going crazy all evening, morning down here. Um, but I think I've got to give comment of the week and we'll get straight to it. Uh, to Ray Thompson, I know that he's, uh, Ray Thompson, I know he's got it a, a couple of times in the past, but his comment about Perez wines more than a straight cut gearbox is definitely, you know, for my money, the comment of the week. I don't want to give it to him. Fine, fine. Comment of the week have to re-evaluate the system by which these comments get given out but comment of the week congratulations thank you a very busy chat room i think a record chat room if i'm correct we'll check the stats later but you can follow me spanners ready on facebook and twitter by searching spanners ready or spanners bbc to catch my local lunchtime radio show on bbc radio cambridge yes that's the kind of thing i do now until next time remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory last forever this was missed apex And do you remember I said that there would be a voice you recognise doing a Singapore preview on my Saturday morning radio show? It was Jack Nichols. Jack Nichols popped on for five minutes and give us a, a really good preview. What a very nice man. He is nice. I like him. I feel like you and him are becoming 
besties. Well, I'm a little bit torn, Anil. Do I make him my deadly kind of media rival, or do I do I try and become his best mate and then later betray him? I don't. It's it's a tough call. Jack is much smarter. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Jack's a great guy. So. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets Sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.